Hello, beautiful humans. I'm Dr. Anna Karen, and we are living in paradox, a place where awakening souls seek challenging answers. You know, as well as I do, that the common narrative needs an upgrade, and that to heal ourselves and our environment, we need a new way of living. Here we will move beyond the either-or thinking that keeps us so divided and step into a worldview of both and, thus embodying a life of connection that has room for everything. I offer you these imaginings and insights, these heartfelt conversations and challenging ideas as encouragements to take your next step and then another, as together, we create a happier and healthier world. Take a deep breath, relax, and let's dive into paradox. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Anna Karn, and we are living in paradox. (laughs) Today, I am super enthused to be having as my guest, my dear friend and mentor, Larry Byram. A little bit about him. In 2002, Larry Byram launched Alignment Technologies as a holding company for the various operational divisions of Higher Alignment, which assists creative people to recognize and experience their authentic nature and to make healthy relationship choices. Higher alignment programs teach us about ourselves through using creative assessments that assist people in many ways. First of all, we can learn about our life impulses and how we come to accept what we want to contribute to the world. Second, it can teach us to learn about what works for us so that we can choose better relationships. And third, it teaches us about our unique way to love and to be transformed by that love. Higher alignment offerings include singles and couples consulting, conscious parenting, authentic life expression, conscious teaching, new employee selection, theatrical casting, legal counsel and jury selection, and coach facilitator training. Larry's work can be found at higheralignment.com. Here we go with part two. And um, do you want to talk a little bit more about those three or? Oh yeah, I could do that. Intuition is really the combination of feelings and emotions as a higher level intelligence. So it's a subjective ability to understand what's going on with other people because we are human. So if, 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 you know, if, if we're sensitive to our own foibles and problems and issues as human beings, then hopefully we'll do the same with others. We'll be receptive to their problems and understand them. But if we can accept ourselves in our foibles and problems and not blame ourselves, not shame ourselves, not put ourselves down, then all of a sudden it becomes possible to be with ourselves despite what's going on and to separately perceive others clean of our our own baggage. You know, being with others 
and it provides a new insight so I can have compassion for someone. And, and in that empathy or that compassion, I can put myself in their shoes and I can understand what's going on from their perspective. And that creating that perspective is amazing accomplishment of intuitive, uh, of our intuitive modality. Um, let's go to the next one. The next one is direct knowing. And it's a mo modality that when you put sensations and thoughts together, and you just are being in the moment with those two, then you're not thinking about what you know, you're just acting from what you know. It's very interesting. There was a, a person who wrote a book, to, you know, and he was, he was doing coal mining and these dark mines and everything. And he, he was growing spiritually and he was creating an inner light of himself. And it was this direct knowing. And anyway, I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of the book right now, but it was uh, Consciousness Without an Object. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really interesting book. Anyway, the, the point I'm gonna say here is, is that what is really going on there? It's the equivalent of the feminine side intuition, but it's for the masculine. And it's about, incorporating all of what you know, but trusting, and this is the most bizarre part of it, it goes into the feminine a little bit, and it's trusting that you don't have to solve any problem right now. You can solve problems as they emerge, as you discover them, and you have access to all time in terms of in being able to do that. What I mean by that is when I think of problems, this is how I I think of problems, I put them into kind of an energetic bubble. If you think about them, we call it a common ground. And what I do is I invoke universal resources or universal mind or higher knowing to help me to solve that problem. It's not about me. It's about, it's about holding the space to have the realizations necessary to solve a particular problem. And I don't know how long that's gonna take. It could take weeks, could take months, it could take years, and it's okay. It's all about letting the problem percolate because the right time and the right place, it'll show up and you'll know what to do and you'll know how to do it. Now, so that's about direct knowing. Then in the third level, it's about unity thinking. And unity thinking is the integration of intuition and direct knowing. And unity thinking is saying, there is no difference between me, you, anybody else. We're all in this together. We all have a common human understanding. We can all share resources, solve problems together. We can work on larger I want to say problems with, with uh, total acceptance and fluidity. Um, now that takes paradox. You know that takes real capacity to get out of your identification with what you think you know and who you think you are. We don't, we don't know the limit of that. You know it isn't, it isn't specified. Oh, this is the place where humans can go to and then after that they can't go beyond that no we're still we're still expanding the limits 
of how what humans can think, how they can think, the way that they think. In fact, we're barely even scratching the surface. We have we have seven creative expressions on three different levels, creating 343 combinations of creative uh, of uh, I want to say creative opportunity, and we we don't even have a ver uh, enough people uh, demonstrating how those energies work in the world to really have good examples, you know, of holistic people being creative geniuses they are. And everybody is a creative genius by just actualizing their creative expression. We all have that potential, but what is it that we're doing with that? You know, we're not thinking big. We're thinking like, okay, what are our safety needs? What are our security needs? What, is, what makes us feel self-important? Hey, that's good to survive, but that is not good to be present and be big and be real in the world, though that's not where we're at. No, I, I think you make a good point in that we're, we're really just on the beginning edges of learning to thrive. Yes. Stepping away from, you know, protection and stepping away from ownership and stepping away from, you know, what's mine, what's yours, all these. And it's gonna, I think it's gonna take some time. I, th I think it's it's a natural unfolding um, yes. that, that is happening. And it can be very frustrating to many that are thinking, you know, it should be that way already. But there's some, there's some steps we need to go through. Yeah, you're actually bringing up something very interesting. Uh, we're, we're only in the last 12, 15, maybe 18 years at the most, we've only been really going into the third level stage of relationships at, in a conscious way in the United States. Now, news bulletin, United States isn't at the forefront of consciousness. <laughs> but, but, uh, but on the other hand, it's interesting to see where we are and where we're engaging. And you can notice that I could give you a blow by blow description of what has happened and what that's awakened in our, in our society. And we're just basically in the throes right now of dealing with our idealizations of each other. We're just beginning to understand that I can't make you or me an ideal without cost. You know, if I make you ideal an ideal, and this is gonna sound weird, I can't love you. You know, if I like, let's say I idealize you, Anna, and I said, oh my gosh, Anna is the best person for me. She's a fantastic person in all these different ways. And I love her to death. And that's a really good metaphor because loving you to death would be what I'd be doing to you. So the problem is, <laughs> the problem is, is that, is that, you know, by atta attaching my idea of you, and projecting it on you, I'm not doing you any favors. I'm not helping you. Some people think from a codependent framework, I'm helping you, I'm supporting you because my idea of you is so important to you. <laughs> it's the ultimate curse. It is, it, is, it is a denial of letting that person's spirit uh, grow and be who you are. 
you know, in fact, I, I want to say it is, a, it is a way of actually minimizing the passion, minimizing the joy, minimizing the possibilities of any creative connection we would have. So, um, so you can you can see how idealization is a, a curse. Yeah. Right. Well, basically, you're relating to yourself because all you're really relating to is your idea of me. Yes. And, and I'm projecting different ideas of how you make me feel on other people on a real time basis. So I'm not allowing the world to be outside my control. You, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm creating every person's interaction with me in advance of them interacting with me. <laughs> There's no openness in that. There's no joy in that. There's, it's all control uh, and, and, and it's basically desire run amok, you know? Uh, it, it's, it's emotions and feelings out of check and out of balance with each other. And all you get is drama and a lot of pain. <laughs> so I don't, rec I don't wish that on anybody, especially my enemies. So, uh, so you can understand here um, that you know, we're in a transition right now. And this transition, just this part of the idealization thing could take 50 years to even appreciate. We've just had whipsaw of Obama, then, then um, Trump, and then Biden. This is the whipsaw program. You know, it's like one extreme to another extreme to another extreme. Everybody's doing it for in, in what they think is their best interest. They think it's always good for the society. Some are more connected to some parts of society than other parts of society, but they all have their constituents and they hold on tightly. You can see how tightly everybody holds on to what they think other people are going to be for them and they won't let it go. It's also a defense, that's a defensive mechanism in and of itself, because I, you know, I need to use my ideas to keep me safe. I need yes. my thought forms and my ways of dealing with the world. To I'm going to, I'm going to say this uh, a little bit differently, just to, just to add this one dimension on the subjectification level, which is the problem before idealization. The idea, uh, if an idea has power, then my idea should be used over yours and I'm gonna impose it on you. I'm gonna impose that structure on you. That's subjectification and that's purely an idea. But in idealization, it's more than just an idea. It's an idea with a meaning or purpose and it has an ideal attached to it. That means I'm doing this for your good. I'm doing this to make you better. And it's, it's not listening to anyone, it's just projecting your reality on them. And so consequently, we have counter projections on counter projections and no one is listening to each other. And it's, it's people talk about echo chambers, it is worse than an echo chamber. I, you know, since I, I've given some time to talking about subjectification and idealization, I should at least give a little time for objectification, the darker brother of these other two problems. And, and objectification is when we're, 
when we're basically evaluating others by their appearance and then giving them credibility by how we respond to them on that level. And, and so people that look good must be smart, must be good, must be intelligent, must contribute in a certain way. So we give them more visibility. We give them more uh, attention. So one of the things about objectification is, is it's so common in our society to, when we objectify others, we make ourselves objects without realizing it. And by doing that, we start thinking of ourselves as, possess, as, possess, as a possession. And then we keep thinking of everything in our life as what gives us safety is other possessions. So people become things to manipulate in our life. And that is a very dehumanizing uh, uh, process. It, it means that life has no value. Everything is a negotiation for, you know, if you can excite me in this way, then I'll listen to you. If you can't excite me in this way, then I'm not going to pay you the time of day. And, uh, and it, it, it's really uh, very pernicious in our society and how it destroys people, people's self-respect, um, particularly. Whereas, you know, subjectification destroys people's self-esteem and idealization, uh, uh, you know, attacks their ability to love. So, it, it, you know, there are these major obstacles to good relationships, and it all has to do with these basic principles that we call objectification, subjectification, and idealization. That's great, Larry. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Um, we're kind of drawing to a close here of our wonderful conversation together. And I, I remember early on in our exploration of some of these things, you, you presented specific paradoxes for our pondering pleasures. And the one I had the hardest time with is pregnant duration. I was wondering yes. if you would be willing to uh, dive into Well, it, 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 it used to be a paradox to me, but it's no longer a paradox to me. I just want to say it's my felt experience, so it's not paradoxical at all. And maybe it's because I've kind of owned it, you know, on all the extremes. So it's, it's not really that unusual anymore. Pregnant duration is, is, is that thing I was alluding to a minute ago where when you are in a state of knowing, you realize that knowing is, is a time continuum. It's based on time. So knowing the right part, and our truth is too, our truth is always defined by the moment in which it's said. So our truth can be untrue, then it could be true, then it could be untrue again, it can be true again, it could go through phases and cycles. But let me just say this to you, pregnant duration, we shift when we're really owning truth, we see the wholeness of a problem. We see the wholeness and the incompleteness of it. And that incompleteness is filling up or falling away depending on the circumstances. It's, it's always changing. The truth is always changing in every moment. And so pregnant duration 
is the realization that when you concentrate yourself on a truth, you shift your perception of time. You shift your actual perception of what's happening. You know, I, I've had conversations with people and they said, well, I, I better go. I think I've been here an hour. And I said, no, you've already, you, we've already been talking four and a half hours. Four and a half hours. Uh, we've, they thought it was an hour in their mind. And that's because we are in a state of praying duration, you know, in my interaction with them. And why is that? It's because in that state, truth is not bounded by how much we're taking in or how much we're not taking in. It's, it's held as it's constantly being revealed. And I'm setting a, a pregnant possibility with people that they'll learn this truth in their own timing, in their own way. And I implant that possibility in them. And then they discover it on their own in their, you know, and it isn't me that's doing anything to do that, which is fabulous. Now, is to help people take ownership so they're not subjectified by me. I, I don't want my truth to be their truth. That's a disaster. It, it, I need them to have their own version of the truth. <laughs> and if they don't have their own version of themselves, I should be slapping them as I talk to them, you know, just to keep their attention other places so that they can remember they're in their body and they have to figure it out for themselves. I need them to validate their experience of truth or else they don't maintain their autonomy. That's what we're really trying to accomplish when we're, when we're sharing truth like that. Do you have more questions about that? No, I, I think that, again, I think most of these paradoxes are a discovery, they're an engagement, they're a, a, a chance to open the perspective, the paradigm. And then at a certain point, as you pointed out, it possibly coalesces or resolves or the, the worldview is such that it, it can encompass. And at, at that point, it is no longer a paradox, it just is what is. Yes, and, and the ironic thing about it is it's not predictable. It's not an answer. It's a process to find an answer for ourselves in a customized way. Wow, that, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. Okay, and the paradox of that is that, you know, when I started investigating this, I, I kept saying it couldn't be this deep. This couldn't be this bizarre that our society was founded on such negative frameworks, you know, that, that you know, we, we were really caught in greed, arrogance, and lust. You know, we were really evolved from that. But it became clear to me that we've just systematized all these relationship frameworks into currencies. And now we're just exchanging and trading them at certain levels. And, and the relationships were no longer important. The relationship qualities are not important. It's just the, the fact that we need a partner and any partner will be 
rep, you know, could be reproduced in any situation. And we have no sense of what makes a great relationship possible anymore. We would have lost that connection. So there's the paradox. And the ongoing paradox is, is that, you know, lose it to gain it. You know, I feel like we have to, in some ways, energetically move away from something in order to come back towards it and find, you know, a deeper cut, find a, an enhanced version. Yeah, you, you don't know how much it controls you till you try to change it. When you start to change it, you start realizing you have to pull it out by the roots. And that means you have to remake yourself in, uh, in a more creative way. Um, and that's the, cause you know, just because people say, oh, I don't like objectification doesn't mean they can go out and start objectifying tomorrow because all of their attachments, all of their programs, all of their ways of, of prioritizing their life are based around that. Or if we're doing subjectification, they, they keep, they keep evaluating themselves on based on how much they know relative to other people. And then they want to be paid based on what that equation looks like. And, and the more you get into that system, the less intelligent you really are, the more you're conforming to, you know, authority figures or companies or structures that are pre-existing and they are the ones making all the money. And so your desire for money, yeah, you can get some piece of the action if you contribute in big ways, but it's becoming less and less over time. So uh, there's less and less hope that you'll be able to succeed that way. And even though it looks like a good program, it would be, it's paradoxically problematic. And then the last one is the idealization thing is that, you know, we think that we're more in control of ourselves because we're fo focusing on what makes us feel better about ourselves. But without realizing it, we're investing in our idea of ourselves being bigger, and therefore demanding of more from others, which actually makes us more difficult or bitchy or whatever you want to call it around people. And no one wants to be around us when we're self-important and when we think we should be treated special in every situation. And yet that is what our society has made real. So I, I think I've, I've covered some basics there uh, about paradox and how we can get out of that. It's, it's an enormous opportunity for people to grow. Yeah, and I think one of the um, opportunities is the work that you do through higher alignment and the programs and the information and all the, all the things. And we'll, put, we'll drop, some, uh, drop some info in about how people can connect with you and reach out and start looking into the um, solutions and the opportunities, the possibilities that you offer. Yeah, I'm just gonna say that our work isn't for everyone. It, 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 it really is for people that are hungry for creative satisfaction and joy and uh, different quality of relationships. Um, and it, it, in fact, if you're not really committed to it, you won't be successful at it. And so people have to even know themselves a little bit to be willing to engage it. 
And you can start out with the higheralignment.blog uh, area and, and read some of the articles. If you can get through some of those initial blogs and, and you still come out understanding what we're talking about, well, then you're possibly a constituent of ours. And, and only then do you probably want to engage us and talk to us in a more direct level or do one of the classes. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Anna, anytime. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Living in Paradox podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at dranakarin.com. That's D-R-A-N-N-A-K-A-R-I-N.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you in Paradox.